0: I'm Halima Atta, and welcome back to another episode of A Little Perspective. So, this episode marks the second of the summer, if I'm not mistaken. So, props to all the listeners for taking 20 minutes out of their days to listen to A Little Perspective amidst their summer festivities. And speaking of those, I've been busy lately with a few of them. Earlier this week, I went to see the new Broadway musical-based film In the Heights. It was amazing, by the way, which was followed by me going to the museum with a few of my friends later that week, which was also amazing because I hadn't seen them in a while, you know, pandemic. Um, My most recent summer activity, though, involved me going out with another friend, perfectly timed right before she leaves for college at the end of the month. So we actually got lunch, went to the mall, shopped around. And you're probably thinking, Halima, what does this have to do with any sort of societal issue that could be discussed on the show? Well, keep listening because there's actually a connection. So during this mall trip, one of the stores we went to was American Eagle, a modern mall staple. There's tons of really great items in there, and although I do a lot of my shopping through online thrifting, being the champion of sustainability that I am, this store is a place I sometimes go to for clothing basics because the quality is really nice. Anyways, the item I decided to purchase from there was this pair of shorts, fleece shorts, for lounging around the house, running errands, stuff like that. It's important to note that these were about $30, you know, standard pair of lounge shorts. A while after the mall trip was over, though, I decided I loved these shorts so much that I wanted to look into getting another pair. So as one does when they want a new clothing item, I went to Google and looked up what I wanted, which were fleece shorts. Once I clicked on the American Eagle website, though, I decided to look at the men's section, kind of to compare designs and see if they were selling similar products to what I had bought in store. What I found, though, was that these shorts were priced a little differently. The top item, which was a pair of fleece shorts, was priced around $24. I thought this was a little odd, given that my shorts were shorter, so even less fabric was being used, but they were more expensive. And although at the time I simply clicked out of the website and moved on with my online shopping, in retrospect, that was definitely a nod to a specific form of sexism. Now, of course, this encounter was not a direct example of this, sometimes items are just priced differently, but it definitely reminded me of the disparities that exist between the sexes as it relates to finances, which can be observed through the presence of something known as the pink tax. If you're clueless as to what that is, don't worry. Keep listening to learn all about it, including why it exists, common examples of it within the real world, and for an answer to the big question, whether or not it's necessary to combat it. To start off with a straightforward definition, according to an article written by Fordham University, the pink tax can be defined as a differentiated pricing on goods marketed towards women, though essentially identical to their male or non-gendered counterpart. Meaning, the example I provided with my fleece shorts from American Eagle was just the tip of the iceberg. This problem isn't exclusive to one item, but has been noted across a wide range of goods. So just reading this definition prompted me to think about the pricing difference I just mentioned, which I saw between men's and women's items at American Eagle. It's important to mention that this discovery I made was recent, partially due to the fact that this economic practice is so subtle. It was intentionally created that way. For example, think of a pair of socks. When I think of this, for women's products, I see fuzzy socks that are like longer in length with a large variety in designs and stuff like that. All of this comes with a rather expensive price tag. With men's though, I envision something slightly different. There's still many designs and lengths, a bunch of options to choose from, but I imagine it being listed at a lower price. I just do. I'm not citing any official data from a clothing store website, or it's just something I imagined. The purpose of this example isn't just to show you guys my amazing, creative imagination, but rather to show that there is definitely a preconceived notion that women's products will be more costly than those of men. And to test out the validity of this, as I didn't want my opinion to overshadow everything, I decided to test it out on my own parents. To do this, I went on the Gap website, a clothing store which obviously sells socks. I chose one pair of grey socks marketed towards men, and one pair of socks that had a tie-dye design that featured pink, mint, and white colors. As you can guess, this pair is traditionally marketed towards women. Given that the actual price of these items was irrelevant, as this mini-experiment I designed was created solely to test what people's preconceived notions about men and women's products were, I hid the price from my parents and let them decide which pair they thought would be more expensive. And the results of this proved my point completely. Both my mom and dad chose the socks traditionally marketed towards women as being more expensive. And while my parents don't represent the entire consumer population, the fact that they both agreed on this particular thing shows me that there is definitely some presence of a preconceived notion that women's products are more expensive than men's. And for many of us, that's just how pricing works. We don't question it. However, given that my show is dedicated to exploring societal issues, I can easily accredit this to gender-based discrimination, a specific form of which is again known as the pink tax. I was reading an article, a 2016 paper specifically, written by the Joint Economic Committee, a branch of the U.S. Congress, where they actually discussed this phenomenon that I observed so recently. A particular excerpt from this paper mentioned this. Manufacturers and retailers may claim that the price difference is due to higher costs for producing women's products or providing services for women, but there is a great deal of evidence that there are significant price differences for practically identical products. In some cases, the only difference is the color." Reflecting on the socks I showed my parents, there really was only one difference, the color. One was marketed towards men, with a gray, neutral tone, and the other was marketed towards women, with a tie-dye, pink, mint, and white colored shade. Besides that, these socks were basically identical, so it didn't make much sense that the pricing was so different. But of course, socks are not the sole issue when looking at the disparities within the pricing of men's and women's products. So let's take a look at some other examples. Most examples of the pink tax are commonly observed among the personal care goods market. One particular demonstration includes the pricing of razors. The paper I mentioned by the Joint Economic Committee, a branch of the U.S. Congress, featured an image of two razors. They were both titled as disposable razors seen in sets of 12. The only difference was that one was marketed towards women, featuring a pink color, whereas the other was marketed towards men, featuring a dark green shade. While these products themselves, not the outside box they arrived in, were seemingly identical, they were priced differently. The woman's razor was priced at $7.51, while the men's was priced at $4.99. Now these dramatic price differences can even be noted in stationary tools. Literal pens, pencils, computer accessories, these are marketed towards specific sexes differently, priced differently as well, despite the items being almost identical, if not identical completely. The pen company known as Bic recently sold two pen packs, with one featuring pink and purple pens and the other featuring plain black ones. The set offering colored pens was marketed as a for-her set, whereas the other was seen as gender-neutral, but marketed mainly towards men. As you can guess, the for-her pens were significantly more expensive. The pens advertised towards women were priced at $4.97, while the others were set at $2.47. Literal pens. And it's important to note that these pens weren't created with different ink colors or anything. In that case, this situation likely would have been a little more justifiable because of the pricing differences in multicolored ink and producing them. But no, these pens were both filled with black ink. On another note, though, there are way more issues with this entire situation that extend way beyond the mere pricing of these items on their own. These additional issues stem from the manners, like the way that these manufacturers and companies are able to advertise products to one sex over the other. So assigning a sex to an inanimate object for the mere purpose of determining a price that what I previously mentioned, it's very odd to me especially when the functionality of the item is not dependent on one's sex. For example, using a pen, I'm no expert in handwriting or penmanship, but I'm pretty sure that a woman wouldn't need a pen designed differently than that of a man. And the products are the same. I mean, the manufacturers know that. They create them the same way. But for some reason, there just has to be a pricing difference. Not to mention, consumers aren't paying for the box in which their product will arrive in. They're simply paying for the product itself. So even if adding a for her label on a product had any type of significance, it still wouldn't make sense to price an item differently because it's presented differently. Both of the pen sets were exactly the same. They functioned in the exact same way. It has even been proven that overall, women's products are priced at an average of 7% higher than substantially similar men's products. The difference in average prices is smallest for children's clothing, 4%, and largest for personal care products such as deodorants, body wash, and razors, 13%. These disparities, though, can even be seen in the service industry. Yeah, the pink tax pervades services that people pay for, not just individual products that are bought once only. A 2011 study cited by the Joint Economic Committee of the U.S. Congress found significant price differences for dry-cleaning dress shirts, with women's shirts costing on average $1.89 more, or 92%, more than men's shirts. And even reading this data, it's so hard to even begin to comprehend why the pricing exists in such a different way for men than it does for women, despite these items being very, very similar, if not identical. So when you realize that this entire phenomenon coexists alongside the gender wage gap, it becomes even more unfair. Women are getting paid significantly less, having to purchase items which are identical to men's for a higher price. So it makes many wonder, including myself, why does this gender-based price discrimination exist? Obviously, differences in consumer demand can affect the pricing of certain items. It's supply and demand. That's just how the economy works. However, these pricing disparities actually stem from something much bigger than a term often discussed in high school economics textbooks, that is, beauty standards. In order to even move forward in this conversation, it's important to note what beauty standards even are, because for many people that word is thrown around often, but many don't really know its actual meaning. According to an article published by Wilkes University, the standard of beauty is essentially a variable standard of what it means to be attractive that is contingent on the feminine beauty ideals that are present in a given culture. The feminine beauty ideal is a socially constructed notion that physical attractiveness is one of a woman's most important assets, and something all women should strive to achieve and maintain. Now, beauty standards change a lot from time to time. That's why they were referenced as being a variable standard. But one thing that remains consistent in beauty standards, no matter how they might change depending on someone's region or culture, is that they're centered around women being deemed attractive. So this definition is very important to something that I'm about to discuss, so keep it in your mind. Anyways, as aforementioned, I do a lot of research for all the topics that I find interesting enough to create an episode on. But one source in particular that I came across mentioned findings that really surprised me. This paper, written by the United States Government Accountability Office, set out to discover why it is that this gender-based discrimination exists. Their answer was that they couldn't find sufficient evidence to suggest that gender bias plays a role in this economic phenomenon. Instead, they brought up the possibility of women's willingness to pay more for a product, focusing on personal care products, beauty items, etc., Now, at first, I retaliated. I got kind of defensive. I mean, is it a random researcher's place, a random researcher who's likely a guy, to suggest that maybe I'm the reason why gender-based pricing discrimination exists? But then I realized maybe there is some validity in that statement. Maybe women are more willing to purchase certain items. But then I realized where this willingness might stem from. That is, the existence of previously mentioned beauty standards. According to a national survey conducted by Allure, a beauty magazine, only 59% of women were comfortable with their appearance, while 74% of men were. Given the very pervasive nature of unrealistic beauty standards imposed on women, it really does make sense that there would be a possibility that women are more willing to spend money on beauty-related items, and although the two razor sets I mentioned before were identical, it's important to realize that there is an expectation pressed on women for them to be completely hairless, for example, at all times, which is a specific aspect of the beauty standard that is imposed on women, at least within the United States. Which, of course, relates to supply and demand. You know that one was more expensive than the other, as it means that more women are likely to purchase these razors. This can be seen in the beauty industry as well. There are pricing differences between men's and women's sprays and perfumes, everything. So yeah, Supply and demand plays a significant role in why there are these disparities within the prices of items seen that are marketed towards men and marketed towards women. However, many people, including the researchers behind the article I read, don't go further to realize why these disparities exist in the first place, why these supply and demand trends exist in the way that they do. So as I just mentioned, there is a clear connection between the beauty standards imposed on women, at least within the United States, like domestically speaking, and the supply and demand trends like economic patterns we see for certain beauty products, personal care items and services. And while there is a presence of beauty standards that are imposed on men within this country, the ones that are imposed or the beauty standard that is imposed on women specifically relates to not something like, oh, aspects of their personality or, you know, whether they're kind or whether they're aggressive, stuff like that. No, it all pertains to their looks. If they can be deemed physically attractive, which directly relates to using beauty products, hair services, etc. And because there's such a pressing beauty standard that there's such a pervasive beauty standard that's pressed on women within this country. It does make sense that consequently their products will be more expensive because manufacturers and companies are aware of that. They're well aware that there is a beauty standard that just completely infiltrates the lives of women throughout the entire world, and because of that, they know that it makes sense that the demand for these items from women will be higher than that of men, which is why the pricing is seen in the way that it is. In this sense, businesses will note the pervasive nature of beauty standards pressed on women and raise the price on items, whether related to personal care or beauty, etc., marketed towards them, essentially capitalizing off of their insecurities. With more and more consumers realizing that this disparity exists within the pricing of men's and women's products, people are now wondering whether or not it's necessary to even try to combat it. Obviously, yes, it is necessary. But as a large part of the reason why this pricing phenomenon exists is due to the differences in supply and demand, many think that it is unattainable to even change this practice or even make an influence on how manufacturers price their items. But what I think is a lot more important is recognizing why this supply and demand trend is observed in the way that it is, beauty standards, but more importantly, how we are affected by it personally. It's no surprise that beauty standards infiltrate every aspect of our lives. I mean, we see it in the way that we view ourselves compared to other people, comparison, the clothing we wear if we choose to wear makeup, etc. But what a lot of people don't mention is that we are all affected by it. All of us, no matter how many of us tend to hide the fact that, oh, like, I, I don't care how people perceive me. Everybody is, everybody is just inherently affected by these beauty standards. Think about the existence of makeup. It doesn't exist solely, oh, because it's a cool art form. I mean, makeup is a cool art form. I do agree with that statement. But that's not why it was created. According to a historical article written by Britannica, we get our first glimpse of cosmetics in ancient Egypt, where makeup served as a marker of wealth. It was believed to appeal to the gods and while many people may not wear makeup to please multiple gods their purpose still remains the same to beautify ourselves to appeal to others meaning the entire reason why makeup exists is to play into these beauty standards that are often imposed on women within within the entire globe and while some people may argue that yeah i like to wear makeup for myself it is impossible to do that. Because yes, I mean I'm not saying that everyone has to wear makeup to please other people, but that is the inherent nature of its creation. I mean, I like to think of it this way. Imagine that you're stranded on an island alone for the rest of your life. Would you put would you include putting on makeup every single day into your daily routine if you were pressed for time always? No, because it's not necessary. It's not something that we as humans have some innate need to do. We don't need to wear makeup, but we choose to do it because of its connection to beauty standards and how other people see us. Disclaimer, there is nothing wrong with wearing makeup, perfumes, stuff like that. It's fun. I love makeup art. It's really cool. Like there's nothing wrong with wearing makeup, but it's important to acknowledge why we do it in the first place because of its connection to appealing to other people and to satisfying beauty standards that are often imposed on women within the globe. And I think it's necessary to realize that before we try to combat the supply and demand patterns that we see within the economy for beauty items and for personal care products, which constitute the premises of the pink tax. So no, the pink tax doesn't exist because of you, it's not your fault, but it exists because of beauty standards, which businesses will note and utilized in an effort to capitalize off of women's insecurities. So it's vital to realize that before any substantial change is made. With that being said, you have reached the end of today's episode. I hope you were able to learn a lot more about beauty standards and their connection to the pink tax, both of which I knew nothing about before researching for this episode. So I hope that this episode was able to teach you the same way that it taught me. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts and keep up with the show on Instagram at a little purse podcast. With that being said, I'll see you next week here on a little perspective.